You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. If you have your Bible, why don't you flip to Romans chapter 15, and why don't we go ahead and stand. We're going to read verse 8 through 33, and then our study today will be camping out uh, in verses 13 and 19, so... Romans chapter 15, verse 8. And by the way, I'm just going to read. You guys don't have to try to keep up with me vocally. We messed up there before and it did not go well. Um, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glorify glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ is named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come uh, to, uh, sorry, <laughs> whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may rejoice, it might enjoy your company for a while. Can I get a giant print Bible? <laughs> but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed that they are their debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Go ahead and be seated.
In his book, Sit, Walk, Stand, Watchman Nee describes the preaching mission to an island off the coast of southern China. There were seven people in this missionary group, including a 16-year-old new convert that they all called Brother Wu. The island was fairly large, containing about 6,000 homes. And Ni had a contact there who was an old schoolmate of his who was headmaster in the village school. But he refused to house the missionary group when he discovered that they had come to preach the gospel. So finally they found lodging with a Chinese herbalist who became their first convert. Preaching seemed quite fruitless on the island and Ni discovered it was because of the dedication of the people there to an idol they called Ta Wang. Or twang, I don't, yeah. They were convinced of his power because on the day of the festival every year and the parade, each year the weather was always near perfect. When is this procession this year? Asked the 16-year-old new convert brother Wu. It's fixed for January 11th at 8 a.m. in the morning was the reply. Then, said the new convert, I promise you that it will certainly rain on the 11th. At that, there was an outburst of cries from the crowd. That is enough. We don't want to hear any more preaching. If there is rain on the 11th, then your God is God. Watchman Nee had been elsewhere in the village when this confrontation had taken place. And upon being informed about it, he saw that uh, the situation was serious and he called the group to prayer. On the morning of the 11th, there was not a cloud in the sky. But during prayer for breakfast, sprinkles began to fall, and these were followed by heavy rain. Worshippers of the idol, Towang, were so upset that they placed this idol in a cedar chair and carried it outdoors, hoping that it would stop the rain. Then the rain increased, and and only after a short distance, the carriers carriers of the idol stumbled and fell, dropping the idol and fracturing its jaw and left arm. A number of young people turned to Christ as a result of the rain coming down in answer to prayer, but the elders of the village made a divination and said that the wrong day had been chosen. The proper day of the procession, they said, should have been on the 14th. So when Ni and his friends heard this, they again went to prayer asking for rain on the 14th and for clear days for preaching until then. That afternoon, the sky cleared, and on the good days that followed, there were 30 converts. Of the crucial test day, Watchman Nee says, The 14th broke, another perfect day, and we had good meetings. As the evening approached, we met again at the appointed hour. We quietly brought the matter to the Lord's remembrance. Not a minute late, his answer came with torrential rain and floods as before. The power of the idol over the islanders was broken. The enemy was defeated. Believing prayer had brought about a great victory. Conversions followed. And the impact upon the servants of God who'd witnessed his power would continue to enrich their Christian service from that time on. Well, this morning as I was preparing my Bible study and actually uh, the last few days uh, knowing what was in mind, knowing this epilogue to the book of Romans, you know, this, this kind of farewell type writings, uh, just in prayer over the study. And I prepared for uh, an expository teaching from verse 8 through verse 33, had it all ready to go. 
printed out the notes and had it on the proclaimed presentation for Tina to, to scroll through for you all. But as I was taking a shower, believe it or not, <laughs> I, do do, I do do that. Um, as I was showering, just the Lord was really ministering to my heart. Verses 13 and 19 of this text. Uh, in fact, that ministering was happening uh, earlier on in the week, and I just kept coming back to verse 13, coming back to verse 19 about these messages, about the, the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. And so it was then uh, at about 8.30 this morning that the Lord said, trim the fat, buddy. And uh, we ended up taking a lot of the message out, and I still went long first service. I'm sorry, it doesn't mean that things will be short today. Um, but maybe there is a God in heaven. Um, The Lord was directing me, I felt, to teach on our urgent need for the power of the Holy Spirit. To speak of this great necessity of Him within our church. That the church would be moved vigorously by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we read this latter part of Romans chapter 15, we saw the Apostle Paul writing about his first and second missionary journeys. And, and how powerfully the Holy Spirit moved and, and how he looked forward to new and great things to travel about uh, the Italian coast and to head over uh, towards the western then no, known world uh, of Spain. And so as we see the power of, of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life, we can glean from these verses of his same heart to bring us power uh, today in 2000, almost 13. And so let's look at verse 13. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In my uh, word processing program, I highlighted the words hope and joy and peace and hope again in a bright pink font. These are powerful words. If you jump back to verse 5, you see that the name of God is that he's a God of patience and he's a God of comfort. These are wonderful adjectives to describe our God, to describe his qualities and his characteristics. And we see his patience. We see his comfort. We see he's a God of hope and joy and peace. And, and as I was just looking at those descriptive words, I just went and I looked at the antonyms, the opposites of those things. That so often in our lives, even as Christians, Christians who have a God of peace, we find ourselves of being Christians of just the opposite, Christians of impatience, Christians of restlessness. We Christians who have a God of comfort can so often be the opposite of that, Christians of irritation. This God of comfort, this God of patience, he grants to us. that he, Paul prayed that he would fill Christians with hope. And with joy in believing. Opposite of hope is despair. Opposite of joy is sorrow. And so often we as Christians, we seem to be those that despair. Those that are sorrowful rather than those that have delight in the things of God. That have bliss and elation at the mention of his name. At the mention of being part of his work here on earth. But how beautiful that he is a God of hope. Mentioned two times there in verse 13, that he's a God of hope and that we may abound in hope. Remember the old song? I remember singing it in Sunday school. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And then there's a, yeah, thank you. You remember it. Shouldn't you be in Sunday school? That sounded like a young voice. 
You recall the other verse. I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Okay. <laughs> but there was another verse like, I've got the happy hope that heckles heathens down in my heart. And I ask you, can you sing that like with faith like a child? Hope. As a Christian, I'm, I'm hopeful. I've got hope in the, in the most severe and dire of circumstances. I've got joy. I've got hope. A happy hope that heckles heathens. You should have that hope because your God is a God of hope. This God who, as we read today in the text, he confirms his truth to the Jews to make good on his promises. He shows mercy to the Gentiles for his glory. This God is a God of hope. In an age plagued by violence and death, cancer and death, war and death, divorce and death of the home, fighting and strivings and bullets and victims, scandal and shame, our God is a God of hope. And how is this hope given to us at the end of verse 13 that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit? This isn't something that you muster up and that your encouraging friends pat you on the back and say, come on, buddy, you got to have hope. You know, mimicking George Michael with you got to have faith. That's just sinful on so many different levels. But rather, hey, partake. Partake of the hope that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to come back to this power that we read of uh, in verse 19. This power of the Holy Spirit, as Romans 14, 17 says, that the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. All right, so again, in, in just a chapter before, we see what the kingdom is all about. It's about rightness and innocence with God that doesn't come by your own strength. It's about peace that doesn't come from your own inventions. It's about joy that doesn't come by your own strivings, but it comes by and in and through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit today wants to fill your heart with hope that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit he wants to blow fresh wind into your sagging sails. And you think of those days when ships were powered by wind. And you've all seen Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever, you know, some show having to deal with that era where they hit an area in the sea and they get a doldrum. And they're just sitting there. There's no power to push their boat, to push their vessel. And sometimes that lasts for days and weeks. I don't know, I'm not a professional nauticist or whatever those guys are called. But I know they're long enough that things on the ship start to get a little bit testy. Paul himself was a part of one of those times where food runs out on the ship, where water runs out, and it seems that there is no hope, that all hopes of life are gone. And maybe that's a picture of you in your life. And maybe even if you're a Christian here today, it's a picture of you in your walk. I mean, you remember times of sailing the seven seas of the Spirit, and yet now you look at your life and you're like, man, I am in a doldrum. I mean, I'm out of water. I'm out of food. I've got no hope. This whole Christianity thing has left my mouth parched. And I'd say, hey, there's hope today. 
The Holy Spirit wants to breathe into you and blow into you fresh wind into your sagging sails, as one pastor put it. F.F. Bruce said, it's the Spirit who enables believers to experience in this life the blessings of the life to come. And we all know that patience and comfort and hope and joy and peace are things that we're going to get to be a part of in eternity, and we look to that day. But did you know it's available for you today that you don't have to wait? That you can have these incredible riches given to you by means of the person of the Holy Spirit. And so there's these wonderful privileges given to Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to see another mentioning, another reference to the Holy Spirit. There's actually a couple in this section. We're just going to look at, you know, if you have your Bible open, you can just skim real quick and remember that verse 16, that the sacrifice of living sacrifices of the Gentiles, that we, if you're a Gentile here today and your life is a sacrifice for Christ, it's acceptable, it's sanctified and set apart by the Holy Spirit. So that reminds us of chapters 6 through 8 of this very book of Romans, that our finishing this race, the sanctification in Christianity, it's by the Holy Spirit. But we're not going to touch on that so much today. We want to look at verse 18 and 19, where Paul says, I don't dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed. All right? he, he kind of starts to boast, but in a good way. He brags about what God has done through him, knowing that it wasn't him, it was the Lord, it was God doing it. Then in making the Gentiles obedient... Remember, Paul had a ministry to the non-Jew world, and he saw radical fruit of Gentiles, non-Jews, being obedient to the gospel. And it says there in verse 19, it was in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So we see there was something that happened that caused these Gentiles, non-Jews, we're talking pagans, People had all sorts of psycho-sacrifices that they were offering up to psycho-gods and goddesses. Yet something caused these pagans to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and declare him to be the Lord and the Savior of their life. What was that? I mean, what would cause people that are so steeped in their religion to forsake it and bow the knee to another? Well, we see that they were obedient to Christ due to these mighty signs and wonders that occurred. These signs and wonders, the word signs is simayon. Sorry, sounds more Asian than whatever this was, Greek. Uh, but it speaks of a miracle that signifies theological truth. All right? So every time that these signs were done, they weren't done so that people could go, a sign! You know? And that's what no sign is for. You drive down the road and there's road signs and there's never a sign that says, this is the sign of this sign because signs and signing signs, you know, and, and everyone pulls over and it's like, it's the, the sign, you know, <laughs> no signs always have arrows or say next right, do this and give instruction for something else. They point to something and that's exactly what the signs that we read of in the, in the gospel accounts and in the book of Acts accounts, they all point to Christ. They all uh, verify that the gospel is truth. Not only were there signs, but there were miracles or teratone. 
miracles that produced wonder, uh, wonders, whether that was dead men being raised or blind men being healed or demons being cast out. Um, radical signs, radical wonders and miracles that authenticated and validated the works of the apostles. Now, you read in Acts chapter 19 that God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left these people, and evil spirits went out of them. You know, when Paul went about in his ministry, the Lord worked these radical signs and wonders through him. He gave people radical faith points, something that they could grab onto, that their faith could latch onto, such as the apron, such as the hanky. You know, and all of these things validated the gospel. They were all to point to the gospel that Paul preached. As Paul was going around and doing his declaration that repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, turn from your sins, be baptized, you know, uh, you know, declare God to be both Christ and curios of your life, the Lord and the Savior. And people are sitting there, yeah, whatever, keep going, you know, and they're sitting there with leprosy, and then the shadow crosses their foot, and boom, you know, healed like a new baby's bottom. And immediately that person would say, the words that this guy speaks are true. The words of salvation from sin and death, they're true. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, the writer says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those that heard him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. And so Paul, you know, perhaps this was even Paul that was writing this, would say that it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that these signs and wonders were done that validated and confirmed the gospel accounts. Well, we're going to speak today about these powerful workings, and specifically about the power itself and who this power comes from, namely the Holy Spirit. The power, or dunamai in the Greek, it's where we get our word dynamite, power, explosive power that comes by the Spirit of God. But first of all, who is the Spirit of God? Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, he is God, yet he is not God the Father. He is not God the Son. There is a distinctness within the Trinity, and yet there is a unity. There's three in one. In fact, Trinity comes from triune. Uh, it speaks of three in one. Triunity, Trinity. All right? It's a great mystery that we won't fully understand until we get to heaven, but it's a good study to do. It's deep theological truth, foundational to our faith. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, when the church was early, people began to give things and sell possessions and give things to the church, and they'd lay their possessions at the apostles' feet, and the apostles would distribute to the needs of the saints as anyone had need. It's same today. The, the same truth is, is um, working out in our church today. Well, there, were a, there was a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who sold their land and then came but lied and they said that we're giving all the proceeds of our land to further this great work. 
When in reality, they had kept back part of the proceeds for themselves. Now, Peter's going to say, hey, you have every right to keep all of it. Just don't lie about it. Don't say that you've given it all. And it's in that account that Peter speaks to Ananias. And he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, wasn't it your own? After it was sold, wasn't it your own to control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. So there in, in two verses, or, yeah, two verses, we see that Ananias had lied to the Holy Spirit. He had lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God, and yet he has personality plus. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a he. Not an it. And that is so often where we err in our theology. We think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force or an it. Like something you'd see on Star Wars. You know, the, the force is with you. Let the force control you. And maybe you'll hit a baseball with your eyes shut, you know. And that's often what we think of as the Holy Spirit. He has become an it to us. It's on me. You know, hey, well, hold on. He's a person. All right. First of all. He has his own ID, his own individuality. He has a mind, a will, a feeling. He can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. A force is not grieved. Gravity is not bummed out when you do a slam dunk. No one can bear witness to that. Gish? No? Okay. He as a person can be resisted. He convicts us of sin. He guides us. He empowers us. He informs us and instructs us. He can be insulted. You can't insult electricity. John chapter 14, he dwells with us. In John chapter 15, he testifies of Jesus. There's many roles and jobs that the Holy Spirit does. To begin with, the power of the Holy Spirit is manifested in the quickening of souls to spiritual life. If he were gone, we would relapse into a spiritual death and the church would become a morgue. The Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary to make everything that we do be alive. read a sermon by Charles Spurgeon this week, and it really ministered to me. I'm going to quote him a few times today. And he says, too much of religion is done as if it were performed by a robot or ground off by machinery. Nowadays, men care little about heart and soul. They only look at outward performances. Now, remember, this was written in the 1860s to 1880s. And he says this, why I hear they have now invented a machine which talks, though surely there was talk enough without this Parisian addition to the band of prattlers. Little did he know, there's going to be a lot of other machines that talk. But he goes on to say, we can preach as machines, we can pray as machines, and we can teach Sunday school as machines. Men can give mechanically and come to the Lord's table mechanically. Yes, and we ourselves shall do so unless the Spirit of God is with us. 
I just got the iPhone 5, and it has a person that lives inside of it named Siri. I love Siri. You just hold it up to your ear. It senses that you've lifted your phone to your ear. What can I do for you, master? Well, <laughs> I would like you to text Mike Anubi. What would you like me to say to Mike Anubi? Tell him I will be canceling our meeting for the day. That's never actually happened. And, oh, immediately. Okay, it is done, you know, or whatever. And then there's also about a hundred things that Siri has been programmed to respond to you. If you were to say, Siri, help me dump a dead body. She'll say, would you like a steel meal? Would you like a swamp or some other type of deserted area? You know, and you're like, hmm, let me think about that. Hold on, Siri. You know. We know that machines can speak and get the message out. And so often we in our ministering and in our walks with God, we become just like Siri. Tell me what to do, God. Really? That's what you want? Yeah. It, it's not what the Lord desires from us. He desires a, a power. Rather than a mechanical power, he desires, desires a spiritual power. Within our church, as we read of Paul and the power that was upon him, and the power that the Holy Spirit moved through when he was taking the gospel message out as a witness to the world, he first had the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in his heart. I'm quite certain that the church which is devoid of life cannot be the means of life giving to the dead sinners around it. No, everything acts after its kind and we must have a living church for a living work. Are we a living church? What's God doing here? I mean, if we're just a bunch of people getting together to just do something that we you know, are interested in, Let's become elks, you know, or let's, elk, that's the plural. Um, you know, let's join an indoor soccer club. Let's start one or something like that. I mean, what are we doing here? You know, we have a commission. We have a commission to have lives that are set apart as living sacrifices, and we have a commission to be on mission. We have a, a commission to be worshipers and to be witnesses, and the more that we are worshipers, the more we'll have the power to be witnesses. And the more we witness, we make more worshipers, and those worshipers become witnesses, and witnesses become worshipers, and it goes on and on. It's an incredible cycle. But it is all quickened and begun by the power of the Holy Spirit as he springs forth spiritual life within the church. In that quickening, in that work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verses 7 through 8, Paul tells us the truth. Jesus does, sorry, that'd be Jesus. After Jesus had risen from the dead, he's just about to ascend into heaven, and he says, I'm telling you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, what could be better about having Jesus resurrected here on earth, hanging out in Jerusalem? How could it be better that you go away? I'd be holding on to his ankles. You are not going anywhere. And then I'd float up. Okay. Uh, if you know the story. He says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so this helper who's going to be sent to us, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. If you have a King James Version, it, it, Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. In the Greek, it's parakletos, which means to come alongside. 
It's translated that we have an advocate in the Holy Spirit. We have a deputy in the Holy Spirit. And he is Jesus' advocate. His presence on earth in the heart and life of every believer. Before, Jesus could only be at one place at one time, but the Holy Spirit dwells in everybody who believes. Sixteen times in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a person. This person, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the deputy. Back in AD 256, a man named Arian came on the scene who thought that the Holy Spirit was just a force, not God, but a power. And he went on to say that Jesus wasn't God, just a son of God. This was known as the Arian heresy, very similar to Gnosticism. And all cults seek to dethrone God and elevate man. Well, the Holy Spirit, this person who is God, has knowledge. He distributes gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. He distributes gifts however he wills. He has a mind. He loves us. We can insult him. He leads us and guides us. And when we hear of the power of the Holy Spirit here, we remember the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to go there in a little bit. But Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the context there in Acts chapter 1 is that John baptized with water, but Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Go and wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power. When you hear the term baptism of the Holy Spirit, The main reference there is to power to be witnesses and to take the world for Christ. The word witness in the Greek is marturo, which essentially means you will be a martyr when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This word power, dunamis, dynamite, dynamic, achieving power, the ability to do something, to be able to do something, and to want to do something. Is any of that lacking in your life? I don't have the want to do anything for God. And I'm not able to. It's a double negative, and that doesn't equal a positive. Sorry, math stuff. I don't even even know math. What am I talking about? This power makes Christianity extraordinary. It takes ordinary lives and makes us extraordinary. And yet we're not referring to radical Christianity here. A spirit-empowered Christian is not a radical Christian, but a normal Christian. There is no other. This is Christianity. You look at Peter you know, kind of known as like the big brawny guy of the disciple group, you know, always putting his foot in his mouth, saying, I would never deny you, Jesus. And then on the night of Jesus' betrayal, he denies Christ three times to a little campfire girl, you know, uh, cusses, you know, when someone says, you sound like a Galilean, I'm pretty sure you were Jesus. He cusses, he denies, he emphatically denies Christ three different times. And then after he denied Christ, 
He found himself back up at the Sea of Galilee doing what he used to do. He was no longer an apostle or a disciple. He had no mission. He was back a fisherman. But something happened that between John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 2, something happened. And in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter standing up, quoting scripture, men being cut to the heart, and some 3,000 men being saved. A couple days later, we see Peter used to heal a lame man. That opportun- provides opportunity to preach again. And some 5,000 people, just men, are saved. So, you know, in the first few days of the book of Acts, we have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people getting saved. What happened in Peter's life that went him from scared of a little girl to a bold proclaimer of the gospel, even among people that just killed his best friend? What happened? I believe two things. The resurrection and Jesus seeing, or Paul, Peter, who are we talking about? Peter seeing that the words of Jesus were true. They were validated. This is a living hope. But then something else. I believe that the day of Pentecost came and Peter was empowered to be a bold witness, a bold proclaimer of the gospel. So much so that Peter and the other disciples were referred to as people who had turned the world upside down for Christ. Some of the other opponents of the gospel said, these men exceedingly trouble our city. Amen. What happened so that this cowardly runaway would turn a city upside down for Christ? Or exceedingly trouble a city? Well, Ephesians has a prayer written from Paul where he prays that God would strengthen us with dynamite in the inner man. He would strengthen us with dunamis in the inner man. So if you're going to be victorious or say no to sin, no to the world, no to the pressures, if you're going to be a bold witness and proclaim the testimonies of Christ into this wicked world, you've got to have power. Are you frustrated because you don't have the power to live a Christian life? Are you in a doldrum? Then I pray with Paul in Ephesians 6 that you would be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Real quickly, I want to look with you at three different relationships that the Holy Spirit has with men. These are just uh, some basic first relationships with the Holy, that the Holy Spirit has with men. These are not necessarily incredible works that the Holy Spirit does. Those are just, the word is saturated with those. Uh, first of all, We want to look at the Greek word para. Okay, para means with, all right? So the Holy Spirit is with you, even before you're saved. He's alongside a non-believer and convicts the sinner, leading them to salvation. The power of the Holy Spirit, again, is manifested in the quickening of souls to spiritual life. And I like to think of uh, this relationship to the Holy Spirit like having a glass that's empty. There's no water in it. Empty. And next to it, you've got a pitcher full of water. All right? This pitcher is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The water in the New Testament is 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 a type of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and they're just, the Holy Spirit's just with this glass, just this empty vessel. In John chapter 16, verse 18, we see that when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Just alongside, just with, just convicting the world of sin, convicting the world of, of God's righteousness, convicting of the judgment to come. In John chapter 14, verse 17, it says, this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you. All right. So that's the first relationship of the Holy Spirit. Even to a non-believer, he's there convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and in judgment. At the end of verse 17 here in John 14, we see that he dwells with you and will be in you. All right, so now we have this second relationship of the Holy Spirit to a believer. And it's the Greek word en, E-N, and it means in. The Holy Spirit comes inside you the moment you believe, and he seals you for salvation. And if you'll go back to my little classy water metaphor, just picture this glass having the water poured, not halfway, all the way to the top. And those of you that remember high school science classes and beakers and all of those great things, who doesn't love them? You know, you remember the, the seal on the top of a water line that's called the meniscus. Do you remember that? And how you can see this line at the water level, that's called the meniscus. And you'll remember if you were to fill a glass all the way to the tippy top to where it's almost overflowing, you can actually make the water go above the glass without spilling. Why is that? You probably know better than me. But that mis meniscus is sealing that glass, there's a seal. The same is true for us when we are saved. When the Holy Spirit, he's been alongside of us, convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's been reasoning with us as Paul did with, I think it was uh, Felix in the book of Acts about self-control and righteousness and, and uh, the judgment to come. And, and the Holy Spirit works in our heart and moves in our heart and shows us our depravity. And that we need a savior. We respond to that. And after our response, in our response, the Holy Spirit fills us up. Fills us up and seals us up. The book, the book of the New Testament tells us, the Bible in the New Testament tells us that that seal, the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee of our salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, in him... At you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so, believers, full of the Holy Spirit, having life, then there's this interesting third relationship. And it's epi in the Greek. E-P-I, epi. And it's from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, or epi. He'll be upon you. It's a work different than that of salvation, where the Holy Spirit gushes forth like living water upon your life, giving you the power to be a witness. A distribution of gifts appears to happen in the book of Acts at the time of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And power to use those gifts, to glorify God, to edify the body of Christ, and to display Jesus. This word epi, or upon you, can also be translated over you, or overflowing. 
And that seems to best describe what Jesus said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, an overflowing. Let's look at John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, I love this scripture. I love the writing here. On the last day, the day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Does that sound awesome? Is anyone like, ah, whatever. I don't need no rivers of it. Has anything ever sounded so powerful and incredible that out of your heart would flow rivers, not stagnant? Oh, you'll have a puddle, stagnant. <laughs> Flies will find their way in there. Disease, cesspool, really. No, out of your heart, torrents. Bro, you're making this up, Roy. It's Jesus. I'm just bringing verses here, people. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, how do you know that that's technically not speaking of the great rains of the Mediterranean back in 75 BC? <laughs> Context. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. Well, how do you know that the Holy Spirit didn't come right there when he said that? The Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I don't want to jump ahead, but John chapter 21, Jesus is glorified. He's risen from the dead. And we're going to get there. And we shouldn't be right now, but forget it. Okay. And Jesus looks at them. And he says, all right, I'm glorified. Here I am. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathes on them. And it's just logical to think that if Jesus looks at them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Who does that? Who breathes? I mean, weird people breathe on people. Well, you see, he breathed on them. And then gave them about mm, 20 days uh, to really let it sink in. Man, I don't know, but I read John chapter 21. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He'd been glorified. The Holy Spirit. Was... I believe they received the Holy Spirit. That it was that moment that the disciples were actually born again. They were the first people that, man, the work has been done. The cross, the atonement, the sacrifice has been finished. The resurrection occurred it's done. And the Holy Spirit came. Receive. I believe it was there that they received the Holy Spirit. And he came in them. Well, Jesus would say a little bit later in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, just before he ascends. He says, uh, and just before that, forgive me, it's not in my notes. But he says, John truly baptized with water. But I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. All right? And then he says, and you will receive power. When I baptize with the Holy Spirit, not with water, Peter, Paul, Rory, Chad, Kevin, they baptize with the element of water. Jesus baptizes with the element of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when you go into Jerusalem, you wait and you worship and you be in one accord. 
And when you're there, the Holy Spirit will come epi upon you, overflowing, and you will receive power to be witnesses in me all across the world. Then we have Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where this actually happens. The day of Pentecost fully comes, and they were all with one accord in one place. There was about 120 of them. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, Rory, if your water metaphor is correct, then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. So when you look to the original language, it's the word in the tenses in the Greek. It's a continual filling. What happens here is that torrents of living water being poured out upon the disciples. The Holy Spirit torrenting out of our hearts, upon us, out of us. And, and instead of having a pitcher pouring in, it's like you got a garden hose and you just cranked it on high. There is, these, there is just this flow, this continual flow of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32, Peter starts preaching. This work of the Holy Spirit brings about an occasion to testify of the gospel. And Peter starts preaching. And he says in Acts 2.32, this Jesus God is raised up in which we're all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So there's an outpouring. And then if you jump down to verse 38 in Acts chapter 2, so Peter says to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you will receive the promise or the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, two chapters later, Paul and uh, Peter and John had been persecuted for preaching the gospel. And they went back home and they started praying. And it says that the Holy Spirit fell upon them again. These are people that had been filled with the Holy, that had breathed in the Holy, Jesus breathed on them, they received the Holy Spirit, and then they had the Holy Spirit fill them and overflowing and continually overflowing. And what is with these people? They can't get enough worship and time together and being in one accord because there they are again in Acts chapter 4 and they're worshiping and they're praying and here he is again giving them power. You see, they never prayed for a removal of the persecution. They prayed for backs strong enough to bear the burden. And the Holy Spirit brought the power. And Acts chapter 11, verse 15, Peter recounts his witnessing to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. And he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15, he attributes the power of being a witness and the power of miracles and signs and gifts to the Spirit of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, 
we read this incredible verse. It's encouragement to me. It's probably encouragement to you. As you hear about being a witness, as you hear about going out into the world and talking to your coworkers and maybe even standing up in a public venue, going to the mall or something like that and standing up in a courtyard to preach the gospel that terrifies you, you just balk up and lock up. You got to remember, you might think you not, you not have the words. You true. Paul says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words. You guys don't have a clue how much God's been doing this in me today. It's like I seriously have a clothes pin stuck on my tongue today. How now, brown cow? My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Guys, you got a Lakeview High School graduate here, and that's about the extent of my education. If anything good comes out of the ministry here in Crook County, we know who gets the glory. Because there's nothing in me that is good or fancy or eloquent. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, Our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Ministered to a lot by Spurgeon this week and just hearing uh, just his testimony and his heart uh, for the urgent need of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read a little of him as we're in closing But he says, to keep the church happy and holy within herself, there must be a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, that the church may invade the territories of the enemy and may conquer the world for Christ, but she must be clothed with that same sacred energy. We may then go further and say that the power of the church for external work will be proportionate to the power which dwells within her. Gauge the energy of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of believers and you may fairly calculate the influence upon unbelievers. Only let the church be illuminated by the Holy Spirit and she will reflect the light and become to onlookers, lookers, Fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. We look at Romans chapter 15, and we see a guy that is, he was a a pilgrim for the gospel. He would go only places that no one had preached the gospel before. And he had incredible testimony of God's faithfulness and of fruit in the labor. And God was glorified. And church, we don't want to just be happy and healthy within our four walls. We want to have a fire burning and blazing within us that brings so much power, like a steam engine, we just shoot out into the world. And we become worshipers who are witnesses. Outward work must always depend upon the inward force. You know, we had a deep snow last night, you know, and and it layered upon our cars. 
And as we got in our cars and we drove here and we drove around and we drove down the street, we saw some cars that the snow was melted off and some cars that all the snow was still there. And we didn't really have to ask ourselves, I wonder what the science is behind the cars. We know that there was someone in the cars, right? There was a fire, an ignition, a power within the cars that brought about movement, that brought about heat, and that distinguished certain cars from other cars. Do you have snow on your life? Do you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Do you have any spiritual life? Or you're saying, I'm not a believer. I'm not sure I have the Holy Spirit. Hey, you know what? Does your life have any evidence of a love for God, a love for people, a passion for his bride, the church, and a passion for the glory of his name? These are fruits that we can use to examine to see if you're an apple tree or a thorn tree. And it's the grace of God that he would even confront us in this. Because it means today is the day of salvation and you can become a fruit tree. Do you have the fire inside you? Do you have warmth inside you? If there is warmth on the inside, there will be a melting on the outside. Unless the church is herself rich in the things of God and strong with divine energy, she will generally cease to be aggressive and will content herself with going on with regular routine of Christian work, crying, peace, peace, when peace there is not. She will not dare to defy the world or to send forth her legions to conquer its provinces for Christ when her own condition is pitiably weak. Enter in the Holy Spirit. Enter in the power that causes pagan Gentiles to obey the gospel. It's debatable within the church. Other denominations, other people, great men that I love and respect have various opinions as to when the Holy Spirit comes upon believers. And I love Alistair Begg, who I think holds a different stance than me, but in humility he says, whatever it is, I want it. And whenever it happens, I need it. And you can examine your life today. And if you look like a ship that's just stuck out there on the sea with no power, no wind in the sails, then friend, you need the Holy Spirit. If you have no joy, comfort, hope, peace, you need the Holy Spirit. If you're scared, you're burnt out, you need the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. You need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Guys, come on forward, worship team. I have this um, 50 people every Christian should know in the library today. And I recall D.L. Moody, one of the, he, you know, he's the Spurgeon of America at the same time of Spurgeon. Abraham Lincoln went to his theological seminary and, and was super blessed by it. And uh, in his life, you know, he was a shoe salesman that turned preacher back in the 1800s, and he had a radical ministry for the Lord. And he had a ministry with the YMCA. And this account here speaks of uh, 
two somewhat eccentric women, Aunt Sarah Cook and Miss Hawkshurst, women of whom were, who identified with the holiness movement of greater Chicago and northern Indiana. Cook belonged to the Free Methodist Church, but fellowshiped widely with God's people and called herself the handmaiden of the Lord. Mr. Moody was an earnest, whole-souled worker, Sarah Cook wrote in her memoirs. But ever to, but ever to me, there seems such a lack in his words. It seemed more the human, the natural energy and force of the character of the man than anything spiritual. And maybe that's you. You think of your walk with the Lord. You think of your ministering. You think of your Sunday school teaching. You think of your witness at the schools. You think of whatever it might be. And perhaps that's you. Honestly, it seems more human. It seems like a natural energy, something that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to force the character of a man out here. And Moody went on. And he had a ministry. He had an amazing church. The great Chicago fires took place. And that really impacted his ministry. And it was after the great Chicago fires that uh, Moody was ministering in Theodore Coiler's church in Brooklyn that Moody had his life-changing experience and the power of the Spirit came upon him. He was walking down Wall Street in New York City, mulling over the impotence of his preaching and the failure of his fundraising program when the Spirit of God filled him. Oh, what a day, he later reported. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. Dr. Gundry writes, one must Proceed cautiously when examining Moody's statements in this matter, the filling of the Spirit. For it's all too easy and imposed upon Moody's statements a meaning that he did not intend. Moody himself seldom went into the details of his 1871 experience, or at least in exit, excuse me, existing sermons seldom give the details. But on those rare occasions when he did, he described it as a filling, a baptism, or an anointing that came upon him when he was in a cold state. His selfish ambitions in preaching had been surrendered, and he then received power by which to do his work for Christ. We did communion at the beginning portions of this service to give time and worship at the end for a fresh filling in our lives of the Holy Spirit, for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our life. And you know what, biblically, we hold the position that it doesn't mean that anything funky or crazy is going to happen. You're not going to lose, lose self-control. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. But power will come upon you. You'll be a witness. The Lord may choose to give you gifts in this moment, as he does in the book of Acts. You see that. But you'll receive power. You'll receive wind in your cells to press you out of the doldrums. And I'll tell you what, I was a... 15-year-old kid, 14-year-old kid who'd been raised in the church, loved Jesus, looked for the coming of the Lord. But man, there was a lukewarmness about me. And there was a night at summer camp back in my freshman year of high school <coughs> that I spent time with a bunch of high school guys 
waiting on the Lord, much as in the Acts chapter 2, we were in one accord worshiping God, and the Holy Spirit came upon me. And I didn't seize up and roll around underneath the rusty bunk beds or anything like that. I had a power, I had an energy, I had a force about me that I'd never had in my whole life, and it's never left me. I should say, he's never left me. He has made me a witness, and it's all him. There's nothing Paul boasted of what God had done, and I just get to boast in God. But I went from being a kid that hung out with a bunch of just pagan losers in middle school to my freshman year standing up in picnic tables, preaching the gospel, handing tracts to people, using my class opportunity to tell my teachers, like, go ahead, just get your work done. All right, Jesus, what? you know. It's not, it was the Holy Spirit. Rory Rogers doesn't want to do that kind of stuff. And trust me. Trust Jesus, trust Paul, trust Peter, trust D.L. Moody, trust Charles Spurgeon. He will give you power to be a witness. He will light the fire inside you so that the outside will melt. Let's worship, and we're just going to give opportunity to respond to the Lord right now. If, if you feel your heart ministered to, you can't recall a time where... You had such a powerful walk for the Lord. You can't recall a time where there was this overflowing of his spirit in your life that you were a bold witness, powerful demonstrations that testified of the gospel. Just respond today. When, Lord, whatever that is, I want it. Whenever that happens today, I need it. Fresh, continual filling of the Spirit. Lord, I need words. I need the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. Lord, our church needs your Spirit. We don't want to be like Siri, Lord. We don't want to be like mechanisms and mechanics and all the right words are being said, but there's no power. And if you just recognize, you just sense the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart today, you want to respond. And I just ask you to stand up right now. This isn't like a everybody stand time. This is a, I recognize I'm in a doldrum. I'm recognizing I'm lacking in power. I have no passion. Christianity is ho-hum. It's not what I read of in the book of Acts. I want more. And you could just say today, Lord, as I stand, let the torrents of living water pour out of me. Stand up where you're at if that's you. You desire power to be a witness. Maybe even today, just power to have victory over sin. Power to not cave into pressure. Power to read the word. Maybe today you would just stand and say, Lord, I just, I see the gospel accounts and I see people speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues and prophesying. And I see people not afraid and they're standing up talking. I see people gifted in helping and gifted in giving. And I see my life and I just seem to be lacking, Lord. Pour out on me, God. Let the epi occur today.
This is a gift of the Lord. It's the gift of the Spirit. It's not something you work for or earn. And just today, Lord, I need power. Maybe you're here today and you entered in those doors and you were that first glass that we spoke of. You're empty and you walk through those doors and the Holy Spirit is right alongside you, convicting you of your sin, convicting you of sleeping with your uh, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend, convicting you of your foul mouth, convicting you of your idolatry and how those games or those people or those things or that hobby is, it's your God and I want to be your God. I created you. I deserve you. I'm worthy of you. And you would see your idolatry. And he's convicting you right now of it. He's convicting you of a judgment to come that you will stand before him one day. And you're either going to stand before him in a rewards judgment and you're going to receive the rewards of, of your labor here on earth or you're going to stand before him in a judgment where wrath will be proclaimed over you and you will be sent to hell. And even today, the Holy Spirit is alongside you giving you a chance. Don't waste this chance. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and repent of your sin and allow the Holy Spirit to no longer just be alongside you. Let him come into you. Let him seal you with the Holy Spirit of promise as a guarantee of your salvation. Be born again. Let him give you a new heart and a new mind that would know him and love him and not be forced to know him and love him. There is so much more. And praise God, those of you that you're saved. You're filled with the Spirit. That is glorious. There's power in having the living God in you. Praise God. There's fellowship. There's community. And yet God wants to give you power to be a witness. And you could stand today and say, Lord, this is for me today. This is for me. As I was baptized with water and that water just surrounded me, Lord, today Jesus baptized me with the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit overflow me. Man, I just needed a fresh outpouring today as I was in the shower and I just let the water run over me and I plugged the drain and I let the water rise up and I was splashing around in there. And I was just saying, Lord, drench me with your spirit. I need a fresh filling, torrents of living water, continual filling. Just let him pour himself out upon you. Receive the gifts that he would give you. Receive the boldness. Get ready for your life to never be the same. Get ready for wind to fill your sails once again. Maybe you're just in need of special prayer today. Just, you're just needing just this full outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon your life. There's situations where you need boldness, you need words. There's just a special dry time in your life. You just felt this message was just the Holy Spirit speaking to you specifically for you. And if there's someone around you that has their hand raised, we're just going to pray for you. We just lay our hands on these people that have lifted their hand and we're going to pray out for them. Lord, we just do cry out for these brothers and sisters that, Lord, they've just... They're in a dry time. They specifically feel like there's just a person and you are that ship that's um, just in the doldrum. And Lord, we just all intercede for this individual, Lord, that you would just pour yourself out on them in an incredible way, Lord. 
Lord, like that sponge next to the sink that's just dry and unuseful, Lord, that you would just plunge them into your spirit and saturate them, God. Lord, may their life never be the same. May their Christian walk never be the same, Lord. For another, Lord, they just have this, just almost a persecution against them and among their sphere, and they've tried to open up their mouth about their relationship with you, and they've just just had hostile reactions, Lord, and, and they're just scared, nervous, frustrated. And Lord, we just pray for the boldness of the Holy Spirit upon them, that they'd open their mouth to testify. Lord, for another here today who just, if they were asked, what are your spiritual gifts? They'd say, I don't know that I have any spiritual gifts. And Lord, that today, if that's you, maybe you just lift up your hand. I have no clue what my spiritual gifts are or how to use them in the body. We just pray for you right now. Lord, you're the gift giver. You're the distributor. And you give as you will. And Lord, I pray today that the right gift, the gift that's needed, the perfect gift for this individual or gifts, even right now in this midst of this assembly, would be given, Lord. And that they would just be able to serve the other brothers and sisters, God, in power. It would be evident that Christ has showed up, that the Holy Spirit is manifested when this person uses this gift set. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. As we sang, oh, how he loves us. We remember when you ascended, you said, I will not leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send the paracleto, the Holy Spirit, the comforter the advocate, the deputy. We thank you for loving us so much that you don't abandon us. But Lord, you come to us. Worship you, Lord, and thank you. And You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.